Hello and welcome to Success Story, the show that tells the very real and personal stories that merge chronic illness and sex. I'm your host, Heather DeKaiser, therapist, wife, and survivor of triple negative breast cancer. Each week on Success Story, you're going to hear from individuals and couples about how illness has affected their relationships and their sex lives. Not only do we talk about just how challenging these effects can be, but we're also going to talk about what the hell we can do about it. Listen along as stories of sexual challenge and tragedy become stories of success. Hey everyone, welcome to the very first episode of Success Story. Today is a huge day for a couple of reasons. The first reason, obviously, is that it is the launch of Success Story. First episode ever, lots to talk about today. The second reason is that a year ago today, I received my triple negative breast cancer diagnosis. Um, Very special day. I've come a long way in a year. Um, Obviously, now I can say that I'm cancer free. I've been through a lot of treatment. It just ended in March. And over the last year, I've realized that sex and illness intersect for so many people. And when I've asked others, how has sex been affected for you? I kind of get the same answer every single time. I just don't talk about it. My husband and I just don't talk about it. My partner and I, we don't address it. And I find that to be so disheartening because sex and relationships are such a big part of our lives. So I started a success story and I've got my sister here helping me on this first episode. And we came up with some questions that we thought people would have who are tuning in and listening. Uh, We thought it would be helpful to go through some of these questions. I will tell my story dealing with cancer and treatment. We'll talk about what it was like for Carissa to deal with my cancer and treatment as well. The goal for today is for listeners to get to know me as the host a bit better, gain an understanding of why this podcast topic is so important to me, but also to get some insight on how chronic illness and cancer and treatment affects our caretakers, people who love us. Riss and I are just going to be talking and answering the questions A lot of these things we haven't even yet talked about until this very moment. So this is pretty vulnerable for us. Shit's about to get real. It's raw. That is honestly how we wanted it because, well, uh, life happens in a lot of unscripted ways. So here's the unscripted version of my cancer story. So, Riss. Thanks so much for being on episode one of Success Story with me. Of course. Hi, everyone. I think it would be helpful if you just said a little bit about what it's like to be doing this with me. Yeah, it feels surreal. I mean, it's crazy that it's been a year since we found out. I'll never forget that night. Um, but to be sitting here with you a year later, cancer-free, is everything. I feel like 2020 was the longest year of everyone's lives for multiple reasons. Oh, yeah. Number one, COVID. Number one, cancer. <laughs> Number one, your cancer journey. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was just a really tough year. But now that we're sitting here doing this now, kind of talking about 
the start of when you found out your journey, your treatment, everything else, how it's affected you. I'm just happy to be doing this with you. Yeah. And how it's affected you too and kind of our family and everybody. I mean, I know that we've sort of talked about how people's loved ones go through an illness with them. Um, Why do you think it's important to put this out there, like to talk about the sexual side effects of an illness on just people and their relationships in general? Well, I think that as sisters, obviously we're really, really close. We've always been close. But I think that you and I have just gotten a chance to just talk almost more in depth about a lot of these topics. And as we've been talking time and time again, I realized that I'm like, holy cow, like this wasn't in any of the books that I ordered. And this wasn't in, in any of the the articles I read online. And oh, so a lot of the subjects and a lot of the topics that we've talked about are things that I think are really important for you to bring to light and for people to talk through, not just what we talk through today, but, you know, as you continue this podcast and this journey of, of talking to other people about their experiences and things, I think it's really important to bring these things to light. I had no clue what being diagnosed looked like. I had no clue what your treatment looked like. I had so many questions about your doctors and your nurses and the side effects and there's just so many things that I think as a family member that's close to you that there you have no way to prepare for. Yeah, for sure. It's I mean it was hard to go through it myself just I think in that beginning there was so much focus on research and there was so much focus on I I don't even know like doctors just tell you kind of where to go and who to see and you just kind of go there and do that and hit those appointments and your treatment literally just starts so fast that a lot of times you don't really have time to think about anything other than like well here we go. I know you wanted to talk about the night you found out a year ago and just kind of some of the emotions that you went through. Yeah yeah it probably would be helpful to create some context and share where this all began. Um, Well, it was a little over a year ago then because it was like early April and I'm one of those crazy freaking stories about my dog finding my cancer. Um, Hallie just had jumped on my lap one morning when I was in bed and she pawed my left breast and it didn't even hurt. I just remember thinking, God, that felt different. And I started feeling around and Um, I was like, holy shit. Is that, is that a lump? I think, ah, no, no. Yep. Oh man. I think maybe there's a little lump there. It's almost like Hallie like pointed to it. What's with that? (laughs) Yeah. I get asked that all the time. Like, do you think Hallie sniffed it out? Now, do I think that she jumped on my lap and pawed my breast because she sniffed my cancer? (laughs) I don't know. Do I think that things happen for a reason and this was part of God's plan and there was a reason I found it that day and started my cancer journey and went through everything. Yes, I do think that. And am I glad that Hallie was was the vessel through which that happened? Absolutely. She is our little our little miracle dog and we thank God for her every day. Um I called Jeremy over and I was like, "Jeremy, Jeremy, you got to feel this. Like I think I found a lump." And he was like, "I don't really feel anything. Like probably not a big deal." So, of course, I got preoccupied with it, and you came over, like, what, a week or two later? And I was like, Carissa, feel this. And when I felt it, I was like, Heather, get your ass to the doctor yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, like, but 
you and I both looked at each other like there's no way. There's no way this is something serious. But I don't know. Do you feel like even the fact that we thought maybe this is something serious? It felt serious. Yeah. Do you remember why you thought that? It No, but I just remember being scared shitless. Yeah, right. (laughs) And thinking to myself, you need to get your ass to the doctor. That's all I could think. Yeah. And then I just, I just remember after your very first appointment that things progressed so, so quickly. Yeah, they did. They did. I, I went to my PCP and remember she was like, I don't even really feel anything. You're going to have to show me what you're talking about. And I was like, no, like when I'm sitting up, you can feel it, feel it sitting up. And she goes, ah, man, that thing is so tiny. It's probably nothing but standard procedures to send you for mammogram and ultrasound. Go do that. So I went home and I talked to Jeremy and we're like, meh, is this really necessary? And you just, you don't want to think like, this could be something serious. Well, about a month later, so that was at in May. So end of June, day, day after Jeremy's birthday. So June 22nd, I had my mammogram, which showed nothing. Okay, good. Did my ultrasound. I remember the nurse looked at me and she was like, you know, it's it's picking up something. I can see what you're talking about. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go get the radiologist. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's standard, you know. All of a sudden, the radiologist comes in and he's like got something in his hand and he's like, so we know that it's not a cyst, which is fluid filled. We know that it's got irregular edges and you also have a swollen lymph node sort of close by to this this mass that, um, you know, it's it's concerning enough that I'd like you to have this biopsied now. And he said some other shit and he's like, I know this is a lot to take in. Um, how's Thursday? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm surprised that you mm-hmm. even remember this much of the conversation. Cause I feel like I'd black out. <laughs> you know, I remember thinking like, I just wanted to ask him, does it look like cancer? Does it look like cancer? Does it look like cancer? Because by this time I'd already done a lot of research, like on lumps and Google is not your friend, no. right? They say, don't no. look that stuff up. Mm-mm. I did. I mean, everyone does. Who doesn't? Um, But so I went and sat in this little room and this woman is like, has this concerned look on her face and she's talking to me about what the appointment is going to look like and what the biopsy is going to be like. And um, I should have someone come with me and just all these different details. And I was like, is this really happening? Anyway, I went home and I was like, oh, crap, this place isn't in network with my insurance. And I was like, I should probably go in network with my insurance because what if it does turn out to be something? Then I'm going to want it to be in network. So I canceled that biopsy. I scheduled another appointment with um, someplace within my insurance. And they said, oh, you're going to have to do another ultrasound. So I get there on Thursday, not thinking that I was going to have to do the biopsy. They're like, nope, we're doing a biopsy. We saw the images from the original place. We don't need our own. We need to do your biopsy today. And they did it, and it was super painful. And I just remember asking the radiologist, I was like, so am I going to have the results over the phone? And she tilted her head down to the left with tears in her eyes and said, yes, you will have the results over the phone. And I was like, 
fuck me. Here we go. But you still want to hope, right? I don't even remember what the percentage of biopsies that come back clear are, but it's high. Um, went home, cried. Actually, I think I went to the office that day and did clients because Jeremy had to bring me a sports bra because I wasn't planning on doing a biopsy. So I didn't have like the right clothes with me. And the next day I had clients all from home that day. Um, wasn't really expecting to get a call that day. Was kind of thinking it would take the weekend. And then at about 540, I missed a call from the doctor's office. I had just gotten out of session. I was doing my notes. I thought, you know what? I've got about 20 minutes before my last session of the day. Um, I'm just going to call the doctor back and get it over with. And um, I called the doctor. It wasn't my doctor. She was off on Fridays, but it was the owner of the practice Jeremy and I go to. And she goes, Heather. And I'm like, yep. And she goes, we have the results of your biopsy. You have breast cancer. And I was like, uh, what? Come again now? She goes, yep, it's invasive ductal carcinoma. It's, you know, she said a whole bunch of shit after that. I don't even really remember what she said. I just remembered thinking like, huh, what, what? Hung up with her, immediately started crying, just knowing my life was about to change. Um, Jeremy had had a friend over at the time. I just texted him and said, your friend's going to have to leave. I just got off the phone with the doctor. You need to come in the office. And he came in and I just cried on his shoulder and I had about four minutes to cry and collect myself. And then I had to do my last session with a client of the day. Wait, so you got the phone call that you got breast cancer and immediately took a client? Yeah. What was that like? Um, I get asked that a lot, like, how the hell did you do that? And I'm like, well, it was a phone session, so I didn't have to be on video or in person or anything. But honestly, like, I just kept thinking to myself, if I were to call my client or text her and be like, hey, so um, I just got diagnosed with cancer. I don't know. That just sounded so fucking lame. Actually, like, that's a pretty good excuse to uh, uh, maybe call out of work or cancel a client is... Uh, I just found out I'm sick with cancer. Sorry, can't see you today. That's yeah. probably an okay excuse. I think we might accept that one. Right? I mean, yeah, you would think so. And I don't, I don't know. It was just like, part of me was thinking ahead already. Like, oh my God, I've been working with this client for seven years. Like, I can't just not do the session. She sure. needs me. And then I was like, well... The only other thing I've got to do is to start notifying people that I have cancer and I don't really want to do that. And then I was like, well, what if I can't work and, you know, I can't see her for another several weeks or months? Like you put your client first. Yeah. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways I needed her probably just as much as she needed me. Sure. Sure. I still remember that evening too, just because you you must have been at home for a little while and and Jeremy just sent me a text that said come over period and Clyde and I were out to eat at the time and yeah. I looked at him and I just said we got to go and I couldn't I couldn't eat I couldn't drink we just closed out we hopped in the car that was the longest drive to your house ever I mean mm -hmm. it's a long drive anyways this <laughs> felt like 3 hours to get there and 
I don't even think either one of you really had to say anything, but I remember walking in the door and you just shaking your head. You were sitting at the kitchen table and you said, it's cancer. And I said, what? What? Mm -hmm. Like, huh? And you put your forehead against mine and we just cried for a while. I don't know how long it was. I just remember feeling so helpless. Like, what what can I do? What? Can, how can I take this away from you? Like, I'm a fixer. I'm mm-hmm. a problem solver. Yeah, you are. So I don't want to spend time talking about the problem. I want to talk about the solution. So, okay, you have breast cancer. How do I fix it? How do we make it so that you don't have breast cancer? Well, and from that first second, that first night, right? Like, you did kind of go into fix-it mode because I had already told mom and dad at that point, right? But then came the hard parts of telling our brothers. And so when it came time to call Josh and Nick, I mean, I couldn't even talk. Like you had to tell them. I don't know if you remember what that was like. I'm not sure I could talk either, to be honest. I just knew that. I I just kind of felt like you're my big sister. You've been taking care of me my whole life. Like you're, you're obviously in a very, um, vulnerable situation. Now it's my time to take care of you. And I just went into like mama bear mode. I feel like yeah. I still am in mama bear mode over you. <laughs> like, I just want to take care of you and I want to protect you and I want to make sure that you're okay. And, you know, so whatever you asked me to do that night, I just, I did it because you needed me. Well, and when you left that night, like what, I don't know, what went through your head or what was that like? Like you and Clyde just going home. Oh, I didn't accept it. I wasn't going to accept it. I was very much in um, a state of mind where I was just rejecting it. You know, I didn't want to accept that this was your truth. So I think that, you know, we just went home and I was almost just numb Mm. to it. And I didn't know who to talk to and who to reach out to and who to lean on. Obviously I have my husband and I almost found myself pushing him away more than letting him in. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt the need to just lay on my closet floor and cry and, and cry myself to sleep when he was already asleep and cry in the shower. So he couldn't hear me and just, you know, I went through a stage of just kind of denying that, that this was happening to you. And then once I kind of wrapped my head around it or just, you know, decided to accept it, I guess, I don't know. I started looking online for books of how to be supportive and um, tried to think of just other ways that I could just be there for you. I I mean, we live in the same state. We live in the same city, but we live 40, 45 minutes apart. And Mm -hmm. I just always felt so far away from you. And I was working every day and I was around people every day. So when you started your treatments, that became extra hard too. I just felt like I needed to do something for you. Yeah. In the beginning, it was that first weekend was just so surreal. It was like, I just started researching doctors. I just started trying to find answers. I just started trying to figure out like, what the hell is this going to look like? And I remember Jeremy and I were watching the show, The Good Doctor at the time. And every episode was about cancer, every episode. And so we would literally sit there and nighttime was always the hardest. I know you can relate to that. Mm -hmm. And I would just cry every night and Jeremy would see I'm crying and he would, you know, like come over and he would lay his head in my lap and we'd cry together often. And it was like, no one wanted to say the elephant in the room, like, am I going to die from this? 
like was there I mean yeah did you did you ever think at any point about me dying uh from day one yeah I mean you hear the word cancer and it's just such a scary word that I think your mind goes into what if I lose this person to cancer Mm -hmm. and so I just think you know like there there wasn't a day during your nine months how long was it seven months of treatment that I, you know, didn't think about losing you, but I couldn't voice, I, I couldn't voice that, you know, and that's another good conversation to have is like, who do you lean on and who's your support system and, and what do you talk to them about? Because in the books that I ordered and that I read on online and things like that said, you don't ever be weak around the person that's sick. You are your strongest self. You support them. You are positive. You're happy around them. And then if you need to, you know, break down, you do it away from them. You do it at home with whoever that support system is. And thank goodness, you know, obviously my husband mm-hmm. is a huge support. My work family was huge for me at the time. Um, what about what about you and Jeremy? Like. Yeah. I mean, Jeremy went into survival mode, right? Like Mm -hmm. there was a question about whether or not I was still going to be able to work. Was he still going to be able to work? I mean, obviously, you know, mom and dad packed up their camper and drove out and lived in our driveway for seven months um, just to help out with all of that. So we leaned on them a lot. Um, It, I mean, it was, it was really hard. Like I think for Jeremy, he didn't have a lot of people to talk to. I think a lot of people checked on me a lot and were like, hey, Heather, how's Heather doing? How's Heather doing? How's your wife? How's your wife? I mean, I think people did check in on Jeremy and was like, hey, buddy, yeah. how are you doing? But yeah. you know Jeremy. He doesn't talk about that shit a lot. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, put your head down and go. Like, he's a caretaker. Whatever she needs, whatever, you know, we need to do to get her through it and it's definitely, you know, been harder for him since treatment has ended. And we'll obviously cover more of that later in future podcasts and stuff. But, um, I mean, he just was like, Mr. Fix it. What can I do? What can I get her? Just keep going. I don't think I've ever told you this, but one of the hardest days for me was when we went for a mani-pedi before you started chemo. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. We have never <laughs> talked about this before. And I'm I sweating. Kept, I kept telling Clyde, like, this is my last day with her. And he's like, what the hell does that mean? And I was like, well, this is my last day with my sister before cancer. Yep. I remember sitting in the chair next to you. Cause I know what day you're talking about. And I remember thinking like, this is my last Manny Petty in who knows how long. And the last time I'm going to freak out because the chick's tickling me. <laughs> and um, I felt is... like it was our last normal day. Together yes. Because I knew that cancer changes you. It changes your life and everything that happens in your life after cancer is, is after cancer. And, you know, it's just you view things differently afterwards. That was one of the last times you and I were really together when I had hair. Yep. And I was so scared after you started treatments to see you losing your hair because, I mean, you know, we're females. That's what makes us feel beautiful is long, beautiful hair and putting a little makeup on and, you know, just feeling feminine. 
And I just remember coming over to your house and watching you, you know, show me pictures of handfuls of hair falling out. And again, I went into denial mode of like, nope, you're not going to lose your hair. This isn't happening. And you were losing your hair in front of me, but I Mm -hmm. couldn't accept it. Yeah. Um, There's another experience that I have not ever asked you about. So get ready. (laughs) But do you remember um, after that blood transfusion Um, We went up to Lake Dillon for my birthday and Clyde had asked, like I I didn't have my wig on and Clyde asked if he could feel my bald head. And I said, yeah. And I turned and looked at you and said, do you want to feel my head? And you're like, nope. No, because I didn't like seeing you bald. I preferred you to be honest with a hat or a cap on or a wig I wanted you to wear your damn wigs. They were fucking beautiful. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't you wear your wigs? They should have shit and, gold for what they cost. Well, but. you know, but everything yeah. that I read too was that like when you're feeling your lowest and when you're feeling your ugliest, you put your wig on, you put your fake eyelashes on, you stencil your damn eyebrows on and you feel feminine again and you feel normal and you try to go for a while. What, what, I, what the books don't tell you is that maybe you don't have any fucking energy to do those things. Maybe you just want to lay in bed all day and do nothing. Maybe a walk from the bed to the kitchen table is too difficult that day. And that's fine. And what people don't talk about is that losing your hair hurts. Mm-hmm. So putting a wig on hurts. Yeah. And, try, and, you know, your skin is ultra sensitive. So putting makeup on hurts. And these are things where, you know, I just didn't, I didn't understand until we opened up and we spoke about them. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I know that our closets are like a really, really important place for both of us. You mentioned crying in your closet a lot at night, and I would go to my closet to cry a lot at night. And I wonder how many nights we did that. I, yeah, like I was on my closet floor and you were on yours and we were both like thinking the same thing, having the same thoughts in the same rooms of our houses, but we did not reach out to each other. Right. And why not? Why didn't we? I mean, a a large part of that for me is that I, I just always wanted to be your strength and I wanted to be your safe place to fall. And I felt like if I was vulnerable around you or if I was, got upset or I cried or I showed that I was weak or, you know, that I was struggling maybe in the same ways that you were struggling, I felt like, I wasn't going to be a good enough support system for you. And that's simply not true because at one point you were like, no, damn it. Like cry with me. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. I need to see that you're hurting too. Right? Yes. Because every time someone was like, nah, I'm doing okay. How are you? I felt like I had to say the same thing. Like if I looked at someone and said, actually, I'm in the depths of hell. Hey, how are you? Like everyone just wanted to hear that well, you're surviving, you're doing okay, you know, things aren't too bad. It was almost like I felt like I had to be strong because if I complained or if I showed weakness or if I really let everyone know how much pain I was in, then I looked weak. Like cancer's supposed to hurt, right? Like it sucks. And yet I felt like I couldn't be in pain. What about when people told you that you're so brave, you're brave? Mm. I love people so much for saying things like that 
And man, do I fucking hate that word. I hate the word strong Why? and I hate the word brave because it imp- those words imply that you have a choice. Mm-hmm. I had no fucking choice. I had to. I had to survive. I had to go through treatment. I had to get up every Tuesday and go to chemo. I had to have a needle stuck in me. I had to get the red devil and know that it was coursing through my veins and know that in two days you're going to feel really sick and there's nothing you can do about it. And what was your other option? Die. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, like... I finally figured out what true suffering is. It's having to make the the decision between go through treatment and maybe die or refuse treatment and die. And I know that's kind of morbid because there's a third option, like go through treatment and live and survive and thrive. And there's wonderful things ahead of you. It's so hard. So it's kind of morbid to say like you had two choices, die, maybe die, but I'll, you know, cover that in future podcasts and everything. But right now, that's my answer. Like, well, I have two choices. It's important to bring awareness to, like, I had no idea what chemo is and what it does until I watched you, until I watched you go through it. And essentially, when you were at the end of your road with chemo and you rang your, your the bell, yeah. you looked like you were dying you yes. that's the the when I saw a photo of you that's the first time I was like holy shit that's not my sister that doesn't look like Heather who I is know, that person right? because it takes you to the brink of fucking death and it poisons you it yes. makes me so mad I don't know I'm still mad about it I'm still <laughs> mad you at cancer I'm still mad at chemo like I'm still fucking mad and that's okay we'll get to that probably later on too maybe yeah. you're mad I don't know <laughs> um, you know I'm not mad I, people ask me like, have you found your spiritual awakening? Have you, what does that mean? Found the grand purpose in all of this. And I look at other women who are like, I had my eighth chemo today and I jogged two miles. I'm like, fuck you. What? Screw you. I barely made it to the bathroom without passing out. Right. That was my accomplishment. And I crawled on my hands and my knees. (laughs) Yeah. And that hurt so bad. I wished I was dead. Uh, No, I mean, like, you know, we kind of joke and jest about it, but literally I wished I was dead a lot. And people might think that's dramatic and, but every, everyone's journey is their own. And I don't want to make it seem like women who jog two miles after they've gone through their eighth chemo, like there's something wrong with them because they are warriors and they're badass and they're awesome. But I spent many days thinking like something is wrong with me. You pussy suck it up, get through this. Women have it worse than you. So many other cancer fighters have it worse than you. What are you complaining about? Yeah. The reality I think for me was that I was trying to help you by reading books and like Mm -hmm. trying to help you through other people's experiences when real life facts is, are that everyone's story is different. Everyone's journey is different you know, they have a different type of cancer. They get prescribed different treatments, possibly surgery, maybe not surgery. And, you know, if all goes well, best case scenario is a clean bill of health. Right. And I think it's so, so important that, I mean, I was trying to be your support system by 
helping you through other people's experiences I was reading about when really I just needed to sit down with you mm-hmm. and just be open about it and ask the questions and talk about what you needed in that moment. And there were moments when you needed someone to cut up your food because your fingers hurt so bad as a side effect of chemo. Mm -hmm. And I had to put your laundry in the washing machine and in the dryer, even though you fought me trying to do it yourself, you know, and I had to unload your dishwasher. And there were just times when you needed, you needed help Mm -hmm. and that's okay. You know? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about like how obviously this is all circling back to how it affects your your work journey and, and what you do every day. Tell me about how this kind of has affected your career. Oh, God, it's been hard. I remember when I first got diagnosed and I wasn't sure if I would still be able to work. I mean, you know, I was worried about like being a burden to Jeremy and family and all that, but I was really afraid of telling clients about my cancer and losing my business that I had worked eight years to build and just wondering like, God, how are they going to respond to this? And, um, I remember saying to you at one point, like no one wants an ugly sex therapist knowing that I did that for a living. And it seems kind of vain now. Like that's, that's not what people come to you for. You know, they come to you for support and for help, but it's, I just, I wanted to be there for my clients. I didn't want them to have to watch me get sicker and sicker and to watch their therapist get bald and to know that there might be days when I have to cancel sessions. And I mean, that's, you know, all a little bit in the past. And nowadays I just kind of feel like, man, I feel like an imposter some days, you know, I, I mean, I believe everything that I talk to my clients about, right? And obviously when I come into work, I leave my shit at the door and it's all about my client's journeys and my client stories and what they need support with. And they are my first priority, first and always. But there are days when I talk to them about empowerment and loving themselves and embrace your story and talk to your partner about what you want sexually and figure out who you are and you've come from this past and what do you want your future to look like and all of that, you know, sexually and otherwise, confidence, beauty, all of those things. And then I go home and I'm like, and my shit still doesn't work. Like, I still know my cycle. My ovaries haven't woken up. My body doesn't do what I want it to Like, I still struggle sexually with Jeremy. I don't feel confident. Like, I don't live what I teach and what I educate people about. And so I feel like an imposter. Like, should I even be doing this work right now? Am I even cut out for this? And then I think like, well, don't be so hard on yourself. You still have something really valuable to offer. And, you know, just because you're going through your work behind the scenes, like with my therapist and everything, doesn't make me a bad therapist. If anything, I'm relatable and you know I'm still funny and I swear a lot (laughs) my clients like me Uh, but it's it's been a struggle because some days I feel really good about myself and good about what I do and this is where I'm meant to be and other days I'm so defeated as far as like I fucking suck like I can't even go home and have sex with my husband because my body's been destroyed by chemo inside and out and I'm still healing and all of that 
And yet here I am talking to my clients about having a healthy sex life. It just, it feels so backwards sometimes. Right. I can't even imagine. And here we are six months after treatment, active treatment ended Mm -hmm. and you had surgery and the doctor tells you your body is what? Thinking menopause or? Well, one hormone thinks I'm postmenopausal. One thinks I'm ovulating and I have pretty much no estrogen in my body. So I'm like three different, three different levels across the board. And six months post-active treatment, and you're still working through this, and what's their time frame for any of this stuff coming back? Hopefully it will. May never. Yeah. There's your answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's tough. What's your outlook? Like, what's your outlook on your career, your marriage, life? On marriage, really positive because if I was going to go through breast cancer with somebody, like I think honestly, Jeremy was the best person to do it with. Um, He's been nothing but supportive. He's never once pressured me for sex or been like, I don't know, that haircut looks pretty bad on you. I mean, he's been like, you're adorable. I mean, he kissed my bald head all the time and was like, you're hot bald. And it's like, you're lying, but thank you. You know, I mean, he says it so often that you finally believed it or I finally believed it. Um, he's just, he's been so gracious and amazing about this. I mean, best husband ever. I think honestly, cancer's made us a lot closer as a marriage, which I know that doesn't happen for everybody. So the fact that we're stronger than ever is a big blessing. And we thank God for that every day. Um, And I think my outlook for my business, I'm super excited. I'm doing this podcast for this very reason. Like I'm a sex therapist and I didn't talk about half this shit while I was going through all this treatment. So if I have the tools to talk about it and I didn't, what is it like for other people? I want, I want them to be able to talk about it. Um, So that's part of it. And I, I still love what I do. I still believe in it. And I still believe that my body will continue to heal, even if certain parts of it don't come back or certain parts of it don't heal. And I mean, I'm, I'm changed. You know, my life's different. My outlook on life's a bit different. Still, you know, working all that out. And I still have lots of side effects of chemo and I'm still in pain 24 seven, but I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm, I'm still able to be with clients. My business is thriving. That feels good. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, parts of this conversation tonight have been sort of eye-opening because some of it we haven't talked about and had some hot flashes and <laughs> sweat a little bit thinking about like, what's my sister think of me sometimes, you know, like the days that I didn't want to wear makeup. What is, what did my sister think? Did she think I was lazy? Did she think that I just didn't want to do it? I mean, the truth is like people have ideas of this will make you feel better if you just get up and do this. And well, the books say one thing, but right. that's not always always the case. I mean, I think about what it was like to vacillate between three thoughts. First thought was, I'm in pain. I just want it to stop. I just want to die. Two, holy shit, I'm ugly. I'm a burden. Will I ever be desirable again after this? Will I be lovable? Will I be pretty? Will Jeremy look at me the same way that he did pre-cancer, post-cancer? 
And these are all just thoughts, right? But, and then the third thought was suck it up, pussy. Like so many people have it worse than you. And so you vacillate between those three thoughts. Um, How often did I talk about all three? I don't know. Do you remember me talking about all three? No, not till, well, definitely not until after everything's kind of been over and you've had some time to reflect. That's another important piece is that I don't think people talk about what happens when you get the cancer-free card. Mm -hmm. Because just from my perspective, as your family member, when I was telling my friends and family, my sister's sick, she has cancer, the first reaction I would get is, well, what type, you know, and Mm -hmm. how severe and she, and then their next reaction was, she's going to be fine. It's 2020, you know, tech, technology and me, and medicine have come such a long way. Mm-hmm. She'll be fine. She'll survive this. And then in January, you know, however many months later, you get the clean bill of health. And it's like, holy shit, you did survive this. And, and you know, now you're cancer free. And what does this look like? And I remember feeling like, I put so much energy every single day into thinking about you, texting you, talking to you, thinking about you, thinking about how I can help you, thinking about how I can be a better sister. Um, Just my whole life, you know, revolved around you and and healing you and making sure you're okay and making sure you lived. And so when we got that clean bill of health that you're cancer free, it was like, I, I know you went through this, but I even went through a period of like, what the fuck do I do now? Because now I should be putting my energy into my work and my marriage and my friendships. And I, I went through about 30 days of just sitting stagnant almost of like, I don't want to do anything. I don't know where to put my energy. I felt really, really lost. And I can't imagine how you felt. Yeah, it's... It's not like people forget about you, but it's like, will you look better? Your hair's growing back. Um, well, treatment, you know, radiation ended in March. Well, treatment's done now, so you're good, right? Everything's good? Yep. And it's like, it's almost like, yes, I survived cancer. And yes, I survived the treatment for that cancer. But emotionally, it's almost like this is the tough part now. Because... Now I have to put my life back together. Now my active treatment is done. So I'm, it's almost like when you're going through treatment, you're actively fighting cancer. So you feel like a warrior. You're actively doing something to get yourself better. Now it's like, wait and see, hope for the best, live your life the way you want to live it. You know, with triple negative and recurrence rates, like, People think like, well, don't think like that. It's just never going to come back. You're going to be fine. It's totally fine. And it's like, yes, I'm not manifesting my cancer to come back when I think, what if it comes back? But sometimes it's hard to not think about it. Like, if it does, I'll fight it again. If it does, I want to spend my life right now living the way I want to live, doing the things I want to do. This podcast is one of them. I'm still healing emotionally and physically, and I'm going to be healing emotionally and physically for a very long time, probably forever, to be honest. And how many people and couples go through similar things? Like, people think that going through treatment and getting your diagnosis is the worst part, and for some people, it is. 
But for a lot of people, it's what comes after the treatment and the diagnosis. That's the really hard part because now you have to find a way to live with what just happened to you. You have to find a way to live with the fact that you didn't get to say goodbye to who you were before. Maybe you didn't want to. I don't know. You may never be the same. Your body will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. New normal. Hate those words too. I hate them. They have a place. They have a purpose. And for the general population, those words mean something very positive. But for people who've gone through illness and cancer, the words new normal is like putting a chain around your neck and throwing you in the ocean, to be honest. I didn't even know that. And, and I don't say that to be like, stop saying those words to people. Because again, people mean the best when they say them. But I say that because I think other people who are listening, who've gone through what I've been through or something similar, understand what I mean when I say that. Sure. And it's because new normal, like one, your life is not normal. There's always this cloud of like, cancer is part of your story. Cancer will never be, not be part of your story. You will never drive down your driveway without cancer being part of your story. You will never have another birthday without having faced death. You will never have another Christmas without that one Christmas where you were bald and everyone looked at you as the patient and the sick person. It's just, it's every 24 seven, you are reminded of cancer and you are reminded of illness and pain and all of those things. And yes, those, maybe those will get less over time. I don't know yet because I'm so fresh to it. I'm hoping that they do. Um, but you know, those are some of the things that I'll cover in future episodes. And as I interview individuals and couples and go through their stories and, you know, dive deeper into their relationships and all of that, we'll, we'll get to hear from people and what it's been like for them and how they view all the things that we've talked about tonight. And, um, you know, a big thing that also I'm going to be talking about in the podcast is what the hell we do about all of this. Like, when sex isn't easy, what do we do about it? When you're in pain, what do we do about it? When it affects your relationship and how you feel about yourself, what do we do about it? So we'll we'll go over all of that and it'll be different for everybody. And that's what I'm so excited for is we'll hear all different stories from all different people. And and I'm really excited for that part. You know, this this was just a little peace of mind, but sure. Um it's, you know, just just a little window into into getting getting to know me and getting to know my story and having, having you be a part of that. Sure. And I think on your next episode, maybe Jeremy will join us. Yeah. We'll see if we can talk Jer Baron coming on and, yep. <laughs> and dish in some of, some of his normally reserved personality. Everyone knows him as like the, the really funny one, but we'll see if we can get some serious shit out of him. Right. Totally. I'm sure people would be really interested in his perspective. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Cheers to doing your first episode with you. Yeah. Okay, let's cheers me with your fucking wine. Okay. Yeah. We've been drinking the whole time. <laughs> we've it's been awesome. drinking wine this it's whole awesome. time. Rosé. So a cheers to everyone that l- tuned in for Heather's first episode. I feel really um, honored to have been a part of it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Carissa. And thank you everyone for listening to this first episode of Success Story. 
Until next time, keep writing your success story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Success Story. We all know someone or are that someone who has been affected sexually because of illness and treatment. In the coming episodes, you will learn that there are ways to overcome and deal with these effects and still experience a life full of sexiness. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, keep creating your own sex